I think my wife and I met Tammy just pushing almost 10 years ago at a conference that she was doing and just were deeply touched and healed in a lot of ways from her, that conference. And we've just learned to just to appreciate her and who she is. Um, just if you don't know Tammy, um, Tammy is a wife, a mother. Um, her husband is uh, named Mike, and he's a pastor of Vista, Ch Vista Church in Dublin. She has two sons, um, 18 and 20, but she's also um, has a PhD in psychology. She's a licensed counselor, and uh, she's a dynamic speaker. And if I would say anything, Tammy reminds me, um, I think of Tammy, I think of a woman after God's heart. And um, I think you, if you don't, haven't heard her before, I think you're going to be very blessed tonight. And uh, she's just a wonderful person. She's written multiple books. She, um, I just, I don't know, I can't say enough about her. So if you would just do me a favor and please welcome Tammy Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. All right. It's so overwhelming to be here already. I'm so excited to be here this evening. Wasn't the musical uh, worship team great? Let's just do that for a couple of hours as well, right? And uh, you, I'm already overwhelmed at the warmth that uh, I've been shown and the warmth of this place and the clear presence that God has here. Uh, and what that tells me is that you have come because he's called you in some form or fashion and that you are leaning forward into what he wants for you. And so already sensing that with you all, I'm pretty overwhelmed. And more than anything else, as I, as I was sitting there taking it all in, I thought, I, I just want you to know, the heart of God over you is his pleasure. You, you, real, you, you do realize all the different places you could be on a Friday night, right? <laughs> and all the different things that you could be doing. And the fact that you are saying, God, I want relationships from your perspective. God, I need help in my relationships and I cannot do it on my own. The fact that you're saying yes to that, I'm, honestly, I'm in a, a state of kind of awe of you for that. And so more than anything else as we begin, I just want you to know that you being God's yes man or woman right now, saying yes to God, even in a small way or a large way. Some of you come quite desperate, frankly. And some of you come just saying, yeah, I need to tune up or I just need to see what this is all about. It doesn't matter. God, who orders our footsteps, Psalm 139, 16, says all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He's decided that you and I would be here. And when he's decided that we would be in a certain place, you know what his faithfulness is to us? He says, I'm going to do something in you. And so for your yes heart, I just pray you know his pleasure over you even now. So much so that I kind of didn't plan on starting here, but seriously, I want you to know that. I sense that overwhelmingly. Some of you tonight might not be sensing that from God because of even what's gone on in your relationships. And so would you do me sort of an awkward favor because I can't get around to every one of you right now? Would you turn and tell someone like near you that either you're glad they're here, God's glad they're here, glad, God's pleased with them, God is near, God sees you. Would you do that as we start tonight? That'd be awesome.
Okay, you did that pretty well. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Thank you. And isn't this just great? This, this place, it's so gorgeous. How many of you uh, have not been in this building before? I have not. I mean, isn't it great? And so how many of you, I know some of you have come from different places. Uh, West Virginia, where are you? There you are. Do we have Pennsylvania? Do we have some Pennsylvania here tonight? No? Yeah, so how great that you have even traveled to hear from God, and that's what I pray. I pray that you hear from God. Even though I open my mouth, I pray God would do the speaking, and that every word that he wants us to get, the singular message that he has for you, that it would burn in our hearts. Will you agree with me to that end, please? And that if I say something, Aaron, I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now in your presence to just have it drift away from your mind immediately, and that instead that that which he wants to burn in your heart would do so. And so I think about this building, I think about this place, and I think, this is luxury, isn't it? This is great privilege. This is great luxury, isn't it? And it's not just because of this beautiful surrounding and, you know, the fact that God has given us the resources to be here. Because you know why else it's a great privilege and luxury in addition to, what is it, Proverbs 16:9 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God has a meeting with you and I. He's going to do something in each one of our hearts, especially if we're leaning forward to that. That's amazing privilege and luxury, right? But even more so, I have a question. Where are we not tonight? I mean, Right? <laughs> Somehow, Bill, we should dovetail those things. <laughs> you know, I lived in San Antonio for 10 years, and do you know that that's a holiday? They take off school. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah. Where else are we not tonight? That's so fun. Where else are we not tonight? On the couch. Where else? You're not alone. You're not in bed. <laughs> Said by a small voice like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You know else we're, where else we're not tonight? We're not just finishing up our latest chemo treatment. We're not at a graveside of someone we love. We're not in a place wondering if this is the night when the people with the guns come in and say, do you know Jesus? We're not halfway across the globe wondering where our next bite of food is going to come from. This is a place of great privilege and luxury. And on one level, it's a little, um, the, the word problematic is an incorrect word, but it's a little challenging for us finite beings to not just take it for granted. But I pray now that by God's Holy Spirit and you're, you being a yes person, you'd be willing to engage at a higher level and understand that the reason we are in this place is not just because it's another good conference, it's not just because this is what we do, but there's a specific purpose and there's a specific reason. And I'm not just gonna leave here fat, dumb, and happy. That there is some transformative work that he wants to do in each one of us so that when we leave this place tomorrow, that there is something so fundamentally changed about us that his kingdom will continue to come through you as you go out into your relationships and your workplaces and your homes and your families of origin <laughs> and take his kingdom in a deeper way out through you. That's my prayer. And that's amazing because God will do that. He just wants people to say yes. And here you are, and I'm delighted to be with you, truly. So about relationships, have you ever noticed? <laughs> I know you have, because we we've all done them this way. You meet someone that you're really excited about getting in some level of a relationship with. 
Whether that's a friendship or you get a new boss at work and you're super excited about, you know, what they have to offer. Or if it's a romantic relationship. Isn't it astounding how we're so excited about the potential of that relationship? We're, we're just like, we think about it, we're like excited about the next time. <laughs> think about that couple that goes to get married. And they're so excited. And then like two years later, they're like, I want to kill him. I'm so over her. Like, <laughs> have you noticed that this happens? Or is this just me? <laughs> Isn't it the truth? You have a friendship. You're super excited about your friend. You're super excited about, oh, God, you put him or her in my life. Thank you so much for this community. Thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing. And then, eh, what happens? It happens, though, doesn't it? Across the board, it happens. We have these hopes, if you will. And then, I don't know, what do you want to say? Reality sets in? I don't know how you want to say it. But this is a lot of what we're going to talk about this evening in particular, this particular pattern. It's funny, it happens across the board. We meet a new friend in a workplace or in church, and we're so jazzed about the potential friendships developing, and it goes along swimmingly until it doesn't. Or the new church just seems like it's going to be perfect. This pastor is going to be everything my old pastor wasn't. And then, you know how that story goes, right? There's something that's woven in us as humans that this is about. So, let's just do this so we can all just be in the same place. This year, this past year, so from, what are we at, May through last May, how many of you in this room have had some version of relational struggle or difficulty or challenge? How many of you in this room have had, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's not one hand that's not going to go up. So what I want you to do is I, I want God to uh, speak to us about specifics in addition to, you know, uh, even some general truths that he wants to deposit in us. So specifically, would you do me a favor? Would you think about maybe even that person that came to mind when you raised your hand? Would you write down, unless you're sitting in t too close a proximity to people, <laughs> just initials only, please. Maybe even a letter. Maybe draw a little picture of that person that has been a place of challenge in terms of your relationship with them, some version of that. Would you do that? Would you write that down in your outline somewhere, at least have it in the focus point of your mind? Someone with whom it's like, yeah, God brings to mind, this is a, this is a relationship that I've struggled with for whatever reason, doesn't matter the reason. And my prayer echoes that of Paul's. So I don't know if you've pulled out your outlines. Have you done that? Because if you see at the, at the beginning here, let's look together at Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. You know what I think would be great, but if it makes you uncomfortable, don't do it. Uh, would you be willing to read that out loud with me, whoever's willing? Let's do it. Here we go. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is where seeing hope comes from. So you see what's underlined there? I pray that the what? Yeah, eyes of your heart. Now, isn't that a funny saying? Your heart doesn't have eyes, does it? The other thing, it's in, I mean, your heart doesn't have eyes. And the other thing that's interesting about heart is it's commonly seen as what? 
the seat of more emotion separate from the mind. So even now we're beginning to see something about this, that there's a way of seeing that it doesn't have to do with vision. Right? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened is typically made aware or knowledge. Eyes have to do with sight. He's putting these two together, that there's a way of seeing that brings about a different perspective. There is a particular kind of seeing that God refers to in Scripture. This is your first blank if you're a blank person. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> if you're a blank person. Uh, in Scripture that goes beyond actual sight. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. Love this, used of David. Man looks at the outward appearance, but what? God looks at the heart, God looks at the heart. We're not talking just about the worldly definition of what's attractive, folks. It's not just God looks at the outward appearance in terms of, okay, how are they put together? Do they fit our culture's definition of whatever's attractive? It's, it's more than that. Not, the outward appearance also includes what, what kind of mood they look like they're in, what kind of body language they have, what look seems to be on their face, whether they seem confident or aloof. See, man looks at all that stuff. But God looks at the heart. Keep that one in your mind as we look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is? Okay, we fix our eyes. Again, talking about vision. Okay, so this is not talking about actual vision. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. How do we do that? The best way I know to do that is to go like this. Because if I see you, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to take you in externally. But maybe if I just listen to you, maybe if I just try to feel you, maybe if I just try to catch your vibe, I'll have a different perspective of you. Are you with me? That ties into 1 Samuel 16, 7. Okay, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Okay, so yes, this is talking about the greater things in terms of eternity, but it's also quite an instructive tool for us, because I want to ask you a question. You know, we've been together for about 10 minutes now. What can you not see about me? Right? Somebody said, my heart. What else can you specifically not see about me? Say it again. My motives, thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> it's true, you cannot. What else can you not see about me? You can see me. What can you not see? Come on, you cannot see what road I have walked to stand here today. What else can you not see? You can't see my thoughts. I may look secure or insecure. You can't tell whether I'm secure or insecure. You can't tell what kind of day I've had. You can't tell what kind of exchange I had with my husband right before I walked out the door. You can't tell how my body feels in this weather. Do you realize all the things you cannot tell? about a person from looking for them from the outside. And I'm a person who is a counselor. I've been a counselor for 25 years. I'm trained in human behavior. I can tell a lot about a person looking at them from the outside. But still, I can't, say, I can't tell what's in your heart, even trained in externals. Is this the kind of person that you are in your relationships with others, where you have a maturity in Christ, where you can fix your eyes on what is unseen? Again, we're talking about a way of seeing that is not for sight. Mark 4.12 Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower here, and right smack in the middle of it, do you see this phrase? They are ever seeing but never perceiving. Whoa. 
Can somebody just say in your words, like, what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase? Ever seeing but never perceiving. (laughs) That's awesome. Who said that? That's great. She goes, they don't get it. (laughs) That's true. But do you see what it's smack in the middle of? The parable of the sower, which is about what? The readiness of the heart, the willingness of the heart, right? How the seed is going, whether it's going to be received well or not. Are you a person that hears lots and lots of messages and yet you're going to go, I say with all due respect, you're going to go home tonight and you're going to be mean to the people in your house? How many Bible studies are you a part of and yet, you know, there's a coworker at work that you don't even talk to? That's, in my mind, a version of ever seeing but never perceiving, you know? 1 Corinthians 12, I think it's 9, says love puffs up. Excuse me, knowledge puffs up. But it says what? Love edifies. This is a version, I think, of ever seeing but never perceiving. In 2 Kings 6, some of you know about the story about Elisha. Uh, They were getting ready to do battle, and his servant was like scared out of his mind because have you seen the side of the enemy? Have you seen how big the enemy is? And you know what Elisha prayed? He asked God, he said, "Uh, Father, would you please show them, would you please show my servant what's really here, why he doesn't need to be afraid? And you know what it says? He then, his eyes were opened, the eyes of his heart were opened, and he saw, do you know what it is? It's so awesome. Hills full of horses and chariots of fire in the spiritual realm. All right, and then I'd love if you'd look at, if you have your Bible, if you'd look at, take a look at 2 Corinthians 5. This passage is so poignant to us about the posture and perspective that God wants us to have for every person in our lives. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7, I'm just pulling a couple out of here, but it's a phenomenal passage, and it has so many allusions to how we need to see. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Here it is. Do you see it? Verse 7. What is it? Somebody say it. Yes, we live by faith and not by sight. Is that how you live your relationships? We live by faith and not by sight. What does this mean for you and that relationship that you even wrote the initials down for? What does this mean about you and how you interact with people that you live by faith instead of by sight? Verses 11 and 12. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those, here we go, who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Isn't that interesting? Those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. And then you see... Uh, verses 16 and 17. Look at this. So from now on, because of the gospel, because of the power of the gospel in my life, that's the so from now on, if you read the rest of the passage, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Can you honestly get to this place where it's like, I, am, I choose to not look at you through the eyes of the world. I have this one couple in my life. I love them. And they kind of are like too pretty. They're so pretty. Ah, they're like poster children for like Jesus-loving, pretty, amazing, never-aging people. It's hard for me not to see them from a worldly point of view, but I refuse. Are you with me? It's, can, can you get this out of your way, whether it's unpleasant or pleasant? To say, God, no matter what, you will show me their heart. You will. And yes, folks, this does include our spouses, our children, and our mother-in-laws. 
I mean our extended family. <laughs> Are you with me? And it goes on because everyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and that transformation is taking place. You know what? Why don't you write down Philippians 1, 6, if you're willing. Uh, also add this to your outline. It says, for I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Did I say that too fast? So sorry. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. You want to sit up here with motive, man? It's good. It's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> It says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus' return. Is that incredible news for your own self that God will never stop working on you? Not until the day of Jesus will he stop working to transform you to be more like Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? That's good news. No matter how far you have fallen, he is going to continue to work in you. But you know, this is also true of other believers. Do you see them from this perspective? I see it like a picture of old houses. Have you ever driven by an old house? And then somebody gets a hold, it's like nasty, and then somebody gets a hold of it. You see it's for sale. Somebody gets a hold of it, and they start to renovate the outside, and you start driving by, and you're like, oh my word, look at, I never knew those eaves were up there like that. I never knew that interesting stained glass window was there. And you drive by, and you get more and more excited about seeing this house under renovation. That's what you and I are, this side of heaven. Until the day of Jesus, we're going to continue to be transformed into our, into our, you know, glorified state. We're going to be in a process of restoration. Is this how you see the people around you? Sometimes. Yeah, that's great. To be able to see God's working in them, he promises he's going to continue to transform him or her. And then we see Hebrews 11.1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. So what is faith according to this verse? It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen and that we're certain of things we do not yet see. So, essentially, here's a good definition. Faith is seeing things from God's point of view. Faith is seeing things from God's point of view. It's about things we do not see, and yet it still has something to do with our vision, so to speak. There are many ways of seeing or looking at something, and what matters is how God sees things. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These are all the words associated with faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. You know, there's an unseen realm in this world which is more real than the seen realm. It's more real. The Bible says anything you see with your eyes, with your senses, you're finite. You're seeing through a finite capability. Anything you see with your senses... It's temporary. And the things that last are unseen. You know, you're more of a spirit than you are a physical being. Do you know that sitting here? If you need proof, just think about how you interact with people. You meet someone new. I mean, you've done it with me already. But you meet someone new, and you, like, you, decide, you have a pretty quick like, boop, sense of who they are. You're like, oh, she's fantastic, or he's awesome. You don't know that. You don't know that. You have no experiential data to tell you that, right? Or likewise, you might meet somebody, and you may think, she seems nice enough and all, but why can't I put my hand, like, through her? Or he seems fantastic to everyone else, but to me, what's up with him? See, your, your spirit is constantly 
taking in data. You are constantly living by your spirit. And yet it's so weird for us to primarily remember that we're spirits because our bodies get in the way. You are more a spirit than a physical being as you sit here tonight. God wants us to view our lives. So here we go. This is your next blank. God wants me to view my life and relationships through eyes of faith rather than eyes of flesh. That's the first part of that verse, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And the second part is in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. And look at Romans 8, 24 and 25. It's immediately instructive to us. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Oh, you see? Hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. I love God's word. It's so practical. It really is. Do you see what this is saying? Hope that is seen. Okay, so hope is a complex emotion. It's made up of an earnest desire and an expectation, usually, of obtaining an object. It has reference, therefore, to what is up at present unseen. When the object is seen and is in our possession, it cannot be said to be an object of hope. You can't be hoping to get a new car if you're riding in it, <laughs> right? If you're if you're hoping for a vacation and yet you're on it, you're no longer hoping for it. Does that make sense to you? The word hope here means the object of hope, the thing hoped for. So hope refers, this is your blank, to what is at present unseen. Hope is the possibility of things getting better in the future. The feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best to wish for a particular event that one considers possible. In scripture, folks, hope is a strong and confident expectation involving that which is future and also invisible. God's promises and our inheritance in Christ. So in Ephesians 1, the beginning that we looked at, it talked about the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So in scripture, according to the Hebrew and Greek words translated by the word hope, the biblical usage is an indication of certainty. So by its very nature, hope stresses two things, future and invisible. It deals with things we can't see or haven't received or both. So I want you to think about in Ephesians 1, it says, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Okay, what's an inheritance? What is this referring to? Yeah, it would be so fun and funny to ask, do you know if you have an inheritance coming your way from somebody on this earth? <laughs> and for those of you that do, to be like, let's talk about it. Is it a lot or a little? How is it changing your life because you know it's coming? Does that make sense? Okay, so the riches of his glorious inheritance, an inheritance, okay, it's a guarantee. What's a guarantee like? What's it like to have a guarantee? It's incredibly comforting and more so it's orienting. Like we got carpet that had lifetime guarantee. I was like, no way. I'm sure there's some way they can get out of this. Well, I never intended to test that guarantee until we got a new dog. Uh-oh. And the dog had never been ill anywhere, everywhere, and, and one particular night was ill in every room of the house. 
two weeks after the new carpet was installed. And literally, I thought it wasn't going to work out. But the guy just looked at me and said, well, it's a lifetime guarantee. I could barely take it in. So I want you to think about the inheritance that we have in Christ. It is guaranteed that we are going to have what? Everything that belongs to Jesus. This is our inheritance, that you have everything that belongs to Jesus. This is, this is the power of the cross. Okay. Think about a guarantee this way. If you knew, for instance, that in 10 years you were going to absolutely unequivocally get a million dollars, I want to ask you how it would change your existence today. How would it change the way that you do life today? Would you be more generous? Would you be less anxious? How would you be different if you knew for sure, for sure, for sure that you were going to get a million dollars in 10 years? That it was a guarantee. Isn't that weird to think about and so compelling? Okay, to the point of relationships. Let's say, those of you that don't have the one that you want yet, if you knew that in eight years, 10 years, when you were a certain age, you were going to, it was guaranteed, you were going to have the relationship that you wanted and you were going to have the offspring that you wanted. It was guaranteed. How would that change how you interact with people today? Can you see how massively of a difference those guarantees would make to your behavior today? Do the guarantees that you have about Christ's promises and presence with us, do they make a difference in your today? Okay, so what is the inheritance we have in Christ? Name to me the things that are in Christ, that are His. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's astounding. That's ours right now. So if somebody looks at you and attempts to condemn you because you are covered in the blood of Christ because you've said yes to his offer of salvation, it, it can't stick. There's nowhere for it to go unless you pick it up and carry it. All right, what else? The promises of his glorious inheritance. What else is his that belongs to us? The Holy Spirit. We have wisdom for every situation. We have comfort for every day. We have, he said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. We have a constant companion. We have constant help. We have a constant, wonderful counselor. All the time. What else is Jesus's that belongs to us? Say it again. Eternal life. Okay, for me, eternal life is this idea of shalom. Peace that your soul is settled. So, let's look here at 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We have peace. We have wholeness. We have love. We have shalom. We have power. We have wisdom. These are the things that we have. Seeing hope in relationships is to apply the eyes of faith to your relationships, holding on to God's promises, there's your blank, and focusing on that which is not visible. You see Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
Hebrews 6, uh, 17. Oh, it's on your next page, I think, for you guys. Okay. Let's look at the last line. Our souls must be anchored in Christ. Do you want to circle the word anchored or make a note of it? Or our relationships won't work. You see that? Our souls must be anchored in Christ or our relationships won't work. Go to the next page. You see Hebrews 6, 17 and 19. Basically, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So all of the things that we just talked about that are Christ, that Scripture tells us are his glorious inheritance that we have been given, we are guaranteed those things. Those are the places from which our relationships need to come. We have to be anchored in those things. Because you know, there are up days, there are down days. There are fights, there are not fights. There are hormones, there are not hormones. Are you with me? We are ever-changing. And so the reality is unless we are anchored, we in our ever-changing selves will be just willy-nilly like a train without a track, and so will the people around you. So some of you are just two trains in your household or two trains in your workplace all over the place because you're not anchored. But tell me about a boat that is anchored. About a boat that is anchored, what happens? Never moves. Even when the storms come, when the storm is over, yeah, the boat may have taken on some damage, to be honest. But it doesn't move. It doesn't move. If your best friend is thrilled with you, okay, if your best friend, the person that you have had as a close friend for years, all of a sudden turns, rejects you, calls you names, um, unfriends you on Facebook, Okay, are you still anchored or are you shaky? Are you shaky because you're like, what's the matter? What did I do? Are you with me? See, if we're not anchored in our relationships, I just need to say it straight up. Can I, and I can because I'm a counselor. Am I allowed to do that? Your relationship is going to be messed up. You're going to be struggling. Because if my relationship is like this, if you're good, I'm good. If you're bad, I'm bad. I'm, we're in trouble. We are in trouble because every human is what? Dynamic, changing, every human's a human. Every human's a human. Humans are awesome and awful. Right? Humans are amazing and terrible. Right? Humans can dispense incredible love and dispense so much hurt. Why? Why would we put our whole self that direction? So we're going to keep going in this outline and talk more about that. Basically, to be anchored in the th truths of Christ is what will bring our relationships to a whole other level. A whole other level. So we're talking about seeing, right? We're going to look beyond. We're going to see with eyes of faith to apprehend in our spirits the truth of God in our relationships. We are literally going to look at our relationships through eyes of faith. We're going to look at our relationships through eyes of faith. This will change everything. Like if I had my glasses uh, have, had red on them, what would I see when I looked at you? I would see red, right? So if you have the fact of God's eternal love and purposes, of the fact that he wants you to stare at a person's heart, not their behavior, of the fact that he wants you to look beyond and see their transformation happening and see the original child of God that they intended instead of what you're beholding right in a particular moment or what your stereotypes are leading you to think of. It starts to change everything, right? 
was hysterical on the way here. Like, okay, I'll just, this is true confession time. <laughs> the people that I have the hardest time, and I don't know why, and it's embarrassing, but whatever. The people that I have the hardest time seeing through eyes of faith are the people that share the road with me. True confession. Did I get a witness? Amen, sister. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> it's true. And so it was hysterical. Literally on the way here, uh, Kim, who travels with me, we were talking about, <laughs> talking about like something, outlined something that was going to be covered for tonight. And there was a, a post office vehicle that was in front of us, and there was a left turn lane. And for some whatever reason, the post office vehicle like <laughs> turned left from this right lane, thank goodness there was nobody coming up here, and veered over here and sort of wobbled its way down, and we started laughing like, okay, what was that? I mean, doesn't a post office person know where they're supposed to be? <laughs> Haven't they taken that turn 75 times? I mean, we're basically sort of starting to go that direction until I said, except, because uh, Kim noticed that the postal worker was on the telephone. And so then we started to think, oh, except for that person could be receiving a really bad phone call. That person could be on the first day on the job. That, could be the, that, that person could uh, be staying out too late because they actually were in trouble with their postmaster and trying to make it right somehow under duress. <laughs> it's a little convicting. But you see what I mean? The minute we can turn and say, God, how do you see this person in this situation? What are the possibilities that I can't take in with my visual eyes? It starts to change our relationships. Happened to me this morning. Mike, my husband, 26 years this past week, by the way. You know what? Instead of clapping, we should all just get down and worship because if anybody can do it, Mike and I, can't. Mike and I couldn't. You know what I mean? It's like God, God alone did it. We couldn't be more different. Those of, you, those of you who know us, it's so true. Okay, so all that to say, so today, of course, he was doing something this morning that I found a little on the irritating side. It's the truth. I was irritated by something he was doing. And I'm so thankful that God had me writing these scriptures because just like that, his spirit was like, he's your gift. And I was like, that's right, he's my gift. He's my gift. That's God's perspective on Mike, to me. He's a gift of God, meant for my holiness and not my happiness. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> it's the truth of relationships. It's the truth. <laughs> Thank you for making me better, honey. It's awesome. <laughs> so when we look through eyes of faith, we're going to see hope in a different way. So we're going to do an acrostic this weekend. And so the first thing we're going to see with eyes of faith, rather than actually seeing with our physical eyes, we're going to see heart. Heart. And folks, at the core of each of our hearts, everyone sitting in this room, is longing or thirst. What word do you want to use? Either one's fine. Isaiah 55 talks about it. Uh, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Psalm 42.10 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. Psalm 38.9 says, All my longings lie open before you, O God. My sighing is not hidden from you. Am I going too fast? Uh, I don't want to go too fast because this is critical. I don't know if you are in touch with your longing, your deepest longing. And child of the Most High God, if you are not, then your life will not uh, be anchored whatsoever because your longing is a compass meant to take you to the heart of God. Okay? So, 
here's what we have to understand. Look around the room. The person next to you, mine, everyone here. Everyone's soul is thirsty. Everyone's soul is longing. And we cannot be fooled that our longing will be fulfilled in, okay, let's stop for just a second. How many of you are like um, my age, like uh, 40 and 50 and up? How many of you are that age? Okay, so what we're gonna say is our hope can't be filled in Kodak moments. For those of you who are under those ages, your hope can't be fulfilled in social media posts. What, what am I saying here? That we cannot attach, we cannot think that our longing is when this happens. When I get that vacation, that relationship, that job, that plaque on the wall, that acknowledgement. Are you with me? When we have that picture, come on, who really posts what's going on in life? When's the last time someone posted an ugly picture of themselves? I want to see it. I, how, when's the last time somebody posted, yeah, here's the glass I just threw at my husband across the room and there it's shattered. Kaping. I'll see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> right? We cannot, and yet our society is screaming, screaming, and I will say a satanic scheme, frankly, from the beginning of time, screaming, screaming for us to think that that longing will be fulfilled in this, that it's going to be fulfilled in some earthly picture. No, 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 no. That's impossible. Are you with me? So we have this longing, and we can't be fooled into what hell wants us to think. And hell is also trying very hard, and I think on some levels being successful, to think that our longing can be fulfilled through false substitutes or that we can be distracted from our true longing. I love the Charles Stanley quote that says, if you can't make them sin, make them busy. Isn't, isn't our society at a frenetic pace unlike ever before? I mean, literally the other day I forgot my phone somewhere and I almost had a panic attack. I was like, whoa, what is that? Because you know, I didn't have a, there weren't those things when we first, when I first got married. There was no worldwide web, let alone in your hand. It's changing so fast. And what it's doing is dulling our sensitivities to that which is within. This is dangerous because if we don't know our true longing, we won't follow it to the right place. And instead we'll follow it to the places that are screaming at us from our world. Hey, this is where that longing is meant to be fulfilled. In this new product, you understand it's a discontentment-making scheme, right? <laughs> it's been going on since the garden. Hey, look over here at this thing you can't have. They did it, and we've been doing it ever since. When's the last time you saw a commercial where basically, you know, what you have and how you look and what you own is fine? It's fantastic. No. No. I mean, seriously, can you imagine a commercial? It's like, teeth that are a little yellow, they're fine. Your bald, gray, wrinkled hair face is fine. Did I just say hair face? <laughs> You're tracking with me. These deep desires feed folks what I call soul questions. If you don't mind, I'm just going to give that name to them. Soul questions. Questions of the soul. Okay, so everyone that's sitting here honestly has what I would consider soul questions. They're things like, um, do I matter? Am I, do I impact you? Like, can you, do I make a difference to you? 
Am I, am I attractive? Is it going to be, is my life like for a reason? You know every one of us here has some version of that. Do I make an impact? Can I see that when I engage you? There's something in your eyes that responds to me. There's something, there's something that tells me that there's a me that matters in some form or fashion. Those are what our soul questions are. Do you know you walk around with that? And it's so critical for us to understand that because if we don't understand that we have these soul questions and that we, they're linked with our longing put there by God himself, and I will say this, for God himself, do you know what we tend to do with those soul questions? We take them this direction. That's why I did that right when I was asking those questions. Do I matter to you? Do you find me compelling in any way? Do, do you like me? Am I lovable? Am I worthy? Am I enough? I would love if you'd be willing to see you and Jesus right down or even think right now, what is a soul question you know you have? Am I, am I lovable? Am I likable? Am I okay? Am I a 